So it was a very kind of controlled environment. We want to make sure which leaders we have and so forth. But then there's also that tension of like, you know, we want to reach people beyond our church. I think if if you want to reach beyond your church, it's it gets really interesting as to the, the kind of system or the model that you need in order to pull that off. Welcome to the Exponential Groups podcast. I'm your host, Alan White. This podcast is designed to help you take the guesswork out of groups. In each episode, you will discover effective ways to recruit more leaders, form better groups, and make more disciples. Please subscribe to this monthly podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to episode 10. Today's guest is Nick Lindsay. Nick has been helping people belong as the community director at Hoboken Grace Church in Hoboken, New Jersey, since 2009. Prior to joining Hoboken Grace full-time, He was an analyst on Wall Street at an investment bank. He's also the host of the show Reading Lens, which airs on the Group Talk podcast the fourth Wednesday of each month. You can access the show notes to this episode at alanwhite.org forward slash episode 10. Now my interview with Nick Lindsay. All right, Nick, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. All right. You are in Hoboken, New Jersey, across the... uh, river from New York City. Tell me about Hoboken and what's challenging about serving in ministry there. Yeah, Hoboken just across the river from Manhattan. I moved here because my best friend from high school was here. And so I figured I'd start here at Sublet and then I'd figure out which New York City neighborhood was for me. And little did I know like Hoboken, like I I found it and I just settled almost immediately. But this is a town that is where a lot of the people who live work in the financial district live. So I think it's about 60%. I really need to update that source to make sure it's still correct. But it's about 60% work in the financial district, which is lower Manhattan where World Trade Center is. Um, What makes this so convenient is there's a subway stop that goes right from here all the way into World Trade Center. We deal with a lot of type A's. As you can imagine, Wall Street, it's very like structured. It's very professional. It's very in your face. It's, It's all of these things. And so I would say a few things that make doing ministry in Hoboken challenging. One is uh, affording rent on a ministry salary. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe I should start a GoFundMe for your for your audience if they, you know, <laughs> but I'm sure they're also in ministry. So that's not going to really work. <laughs> no, but, no deep um, pockets here. Um, and then the other is that I think what's really challenging about the people that we try to reach is that they think they have it all together and or they can outsource anything, right? So even when it comes to how I feel, oh, I can outsource that to make sure I have a counselor, someone that's going to make sure that I, I I feel good or like I can donate money and it makes me good. And so I think it's wrestling with a lot of those individuals to understand like it's not about being good. It's because he is good that we are good and kind of flipping that on, on its head in a sense. So, mm. yeah. So I think that's that's a little bit of what's challenging. And then I think the other thing is that it's just such a transient culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's wild is they had me working on a project here this week of just figuring out where did all the people who didn't sign up for small groups again that were in last season and where'd they go? And literally it was about 60% of them had moved. And so I think the thing that we just learned is that like, I think we were sustaining people in our online groups while they had moved. And then when we did our reset, I think it was finally like their release to get into their like local community of where they are and, and find their church. So, so the other thing that is challenging about Hoboken is that it's a very transient culture. So we have people coming in and coming out all the time. And so that really affects how we do groups. I think we'll probably talk about that a little bit later in in today's podcast as to, you know, when things are constantly turning over, what are the things you need to focus in on? That's one of those things that really defines our culture. So, you know, my entire goal is to help people belong. 
but also like when people come in through the doors, I want to send them out better than how we found them and really just prepare them as best as possible for their next church that they go to. Yeah, no, and that's great. And there are a lot of people that, you know, they're not in your neck of the woods, if so to speak, mm-hmm. but they are in a college town or they're near a military Naval, base. Yeah, and there's, yeah. they, they see that constant churn and it's just, there's nothing you can do about it, but there yeah. is that frustration of you're constantly developing leaders only to watch them, you know, move away. And I think a lot of people can, can definitely relate to that. Of course, there are other places where people have been there their entire lives. That's a whole other situation. So let's talk about, because I did mention this idea of your church being a revolving door, not for a bad reason, just for cultural reasons. Some churches are a revolving door because they burn everybody out. That's not you guys. Um, <laughs> but so how, how do you, I, I said group numbers, that's not really a fair thing, but how do you keep a small group ministry going? Because you're developing people and they could be coaching and they're solid leaders and and then they move out to the suburbs and, and then you got to start all yeah. over again with new people that don't have a clue. What does that look like? Yeah. So it's, it's definitely not easy. Just constantly recruiting. I realize that's a weird answer to say because everybody's constantly recruiting, right? No matter mm-hmm. what church you're at, but it's really trying to help the leader understand even when they come in, like that, this is going to be one of the things that we do. We have, we have like a saying around here that one plus one equals one here because of just how many people find their, their way out the door. So, you know, we're, we're kind of preparing them as soon as they get started to really be refining that replacement as soon as possible to help alleviate that part of it that I've learned as well is, is really just constantly being in prayer that God can give me the vision to see who those next leaders are. It's interesting though, as we get bigger, I like, I don't have as much interaction like I used to when we were a bit smaller as a church. So that's always an interesting thing to think about. I would say one of the other things that I've learned along the way is, is what a red flag it is when somebody leaves and they're like, this person can just take over. Like anytime it's a sudden change in leadership and we're just trying to keep a group together is I think where the majority of my problems come from because they weren't given that proper nutrients as they were like raising up. It was more just, we, we planted them and threw them on a NASCAR track right away. And they haven't been through like some of the smaller circuits. No. And that's the, I think that's the truth of of any ministry is you just find a warm body that can take your place. But the other side of it is also feeling like you have to supply a leader to a ministry to keep it going and sometimes, you know, it's like if it's, it hasn't developed its own leader, or if there isn't somebody there ready to step in, then maybe it's time for it to end and then just do something new. Yeah. The other thing I would say, too, that we've done recently that I think has a bigger effect than I thought is we started something called 10 Week Groups. So I have a website called 10weekgroup.com, which I'd encourage you guys to check out. And it's the first 10 weeks that we have every single new group go through. Really, it's boiling down and helping the leaders just be able to just execute a plan as opposed to like have to come up with everything. Nothing really new, but it's really banking off if you guys listen to. Yeah. So the other thing that I that we learned this culture as well, I think that really helps get groups started is we started this thing, just all of our new groups go through the same curriculum, which is this 10 weekgroupcom is where you can find like all our plans for this. It does a couple of things. So the one thing that it's doing is it's really just helping the leader just execute a plan that they don't necessarily have to plan out what they're going to do or figure it out. We can come along and teach with them and partner with them in this process. The other thing that's doing is that I got this idea from Tommy Carreras from, uh, Mission um, Ventura. It's also a way for us to teach group leader or group members how to be good group members and what our system is, because I think people come from all over the place. And if they know a church or they don't know a church, they kind of have expectations of what it may be. And so people come into our groups and they're like, 
oh, it's a Bible study. Oh, it's a, it's like a book club. It's a, you know, it's a place where we're just eating dinner together. It's all these different things. And so it's been a way for us to do five minute videos to kind of talk about different topics of what groups do and how to be good group members. And we've seen a lot of success through that. And I think it helps ease the burden of a new leader, which helps us get more of them because they can start quicker. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And so they're, you're teaching yeah. them how to be a group and that's the first thing that they do with you. Yeah. So that's the first thing that they do with us. I mean, we have, obviously we have some onboarding course, but really it's just a class that's trying to give them the absolute basics. So what our values are, um, our pillar system, which um, I don't know if we'll get into, but if you want to see what that looks like, dinnergroupleader.com is where you can find that information as well. So it teaches them our model. And then the last thing it does is it walks them through what the 10 weeks look like. And then we have ongoing training after that, that helps give them a bit more of the like essentials of, of leading a group. So really, I just want to give them the absolute basics of what they need to get going and then we're just going to partner with them along the way. Okay. So let's kind of help me put this yeah. together. Somebody walks into yep. Hoboken Grace. Yep. They're in the worship service. So they've been watching the worship service online. What step do they go to next? Do they join a dinner group? Do they join a small group? Do they, what do they do? So they would join, uh, you, you said it here, dinner groups. So there are versions of small groups. Our dinner groups is an idea that we kind of stumbled into. A lot of people think it's this romantic idea where we're like, we read scripture and realized that they did all their stuff around meals and therefore we're going to do the same thing. No, for us, it was all pure context. So when we started this church, we were church plant 13 years ago. We wanted to have small groups be a part of our church. We realized that they were important. And we would start asking people, hey, do you want to get together during the week? And we'll talk about Sunday's message. And the thing we kept hearing over and over and over again was, oh, I don't have time, I don't have time, I don't have time. And in this culture, they're pretty much right. Like we're working like 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. That's what That was like my hours when I worked in the city. So that means we're having like dinner at 8 p.m. And as a church plant, you're trying to get to know people. And so anytime we would try to get to know them, we're like, hey, do you guys want to grab dinner later? And we'll get to know each other better. And we think we kept hearing, yeah, sure, I'd love to. That's when we realized like, oh, everyone meets over dinner in this town. Like that's just how people gather and that's how they do business or community. And so let's tap into that idea. So they merged the ideas and said, Hey, what if we get together over dinner and we talk about what we learned on Sunday's message? And that is like what clicked for us and has worked since. Um, it's now gotten a little odd now that we have dinner groups that meet at like 6 a.m. and 7 a.m. And, and for lunch, and they're still called dinner groups, which I think it's hilarious. But well, you um, know, it's that it's just that small group concept. But, As Frank Sinatra yeah. said one time, she gets too hungry for dinner at eight. So there, <laughs> there you go. There you go. But yeah. what, what I love about that Nick, birthplace Hoboken. Frank Sinatra. Exactly. And if you could make it there, but we can't, we got to quit these song lyrics because uh, it's been a very expensive podcast for me um, <laughs> to give all the rights. But what I love about it is you recognize yeah. something in the culture. You could turn into a ministry thing instead of saying, listen, everybody needs to come to Sunday school and the Wednesday night Bible study if you want to make it into heaven. <laughs> but anyway, what I love is that you saw what was happening in your culture and you weren't trying to yeah. impose something on that, that you were trying to go with it. And I see a lot of people fighting against that or, yeah. you know, in the South trying to have small groups on Saturday, which is all about college football or, you yeah. know, whatever the uniqueness is of a community or yeah. insisting that people, you know, in the North do groups all summer long 
when it's the only yeah. nice weather the entire year and be, be kind, let your people go outside. Yeah. So, I mean, a couple of things on what you said right there that is important with Hoboken Grace and what we've learned is the other thing I'm so grateful for in our lead pastor, Chris High, was really the one that drove this is he told everyone like we are guests in this town. Like we have not earned any right to come in here and tell others, you know, hey, this is how God wants it to be. And therefore, like we have earned this right, this right, you know, hmm. like we're trying to help the needy. Like, of course, you want to work with us. And of course, you want us to do these things. It was it was never that it was always like we're on your turf. And it's just like, you know, asking for permission and doing these things. And, you know, for the first four years of our church, it was a lot of us trying to partner with organizations around here. Um, we never wanted to go and start another ministry that already existed in town. So it made no sense for us to start a homeless shelter because there was already a great one here in town. And the thing that the homeless shelter needs more than anything is that manpower. And that was the one thing as a church we're easily able to provide. We have a whole team of volunteers that are ready to serve. It was, it was that attitude. And for so long, so many of them had up these walls of like, they just don't trust churches. And then it's just, you know, like we're going to take our time to, or, you know, to get to know you, like, well, we don't know if we can trust you. You're now like the eighth church plant that has tried to start here. And they all say the same thing, like, mm -hmm. right. So it, it, it took a lot of trust building and then hurricane Sandy happened, which was now nine years ago. Mm -hmm. And that is when part of this pun, the floodgates opened. We were just ready to serve in these organizations, like needed anyone and everyone at that point. And we just jumped in and we crushed it. And it's been a huge turning point in this town ever since that happened at like, when something goes wrong, like we know that Hoboken Grace is going to have our backs. And um, we've, we've been a part of that this, this whole time. So that's that first one. The other one I was going to say is that you were talking about being a student in your culture. One of the other things is like recognizing, I, I don't know if it's just me as this group structure, but I just see our competition every time we're out, right? Like I see all these other dinner groups happening when I'm out to eat at dinner. I notice like, okay, these are all just a group of friends getting together, right? Well, how many people are sitting at this table? Oh, well, it's about six people. And so sometimes it makes me wonder if, huh, do I have my groups too big because it doesn't necessarily look like what it does in our culture? Like, should I be aiming for these groups to be more of the size of like six to eight as opposed to eight to 12? Because one of it is that like, once they do migrate into homes, like, it's really hard for someone to host 12 people. It's also more natural that they're just meeting in restaurants of, of no more than six. So it's like people little things like that of just being observant of what's going on around you yeah. um, and how people are meeting. So wherever you are, like, how are the people gathering community? Like, like, are they meeting at, at sports practices or are they meeting bowling alleys or wherever it may be? Like, can you see how people are naturally gathering where you live, I think is, is important. Ah, but Nick, we need a process that's unique to the church that we put <laughs> people through a lot of misery, you know, to force them into a group of people that they're not going to like, because that's the only way that they're going to grow spiritually. Yeah. Come on. I think that was a sneaky advantage <laughs> that we had too, in getting started was that we were renting space. So there's no church space to meet in, right? So you're so reliant on meeting out in public or people's homes in order to accomplish your ministry. So it's kind of nice that we didn't have a physical building in order to gather people. Like it really, I think it strengthened us because of that. So it's a, a little thing when you look back, like, oh, that was really advantage that we had. So, yeah, well, and that's something that, you know, hopefully we all learned an element of that during the pandemic when we couldn't get into our oh, buildings yeah. and we couldn't gather in our exactly. buildings. But the reality is for any church, you're never going to have the amount of facilities 
that you need to do mm-hmm. all of the ministry God's calling you to do. You're never going to have the, enough staff to do all of that. But the asset is the people in your congregation and their homes. You, you can leverage all of that, their friends, and, and go from there. So yeah. they show up, they go to a dinner group. Then yep. what, what are they doing next? So inside dinner group, it's really uh, kind of using our version of purpose-driven a church with the five kind of purposes. Ours are worship, community, learn, serve, and share. So, but I'm trying to balance our groups within that. And we use this pillar system here that that kind of helps out with that. So what ended up happening was, you know, we originally started off just being the or sermon-based groups. As you usually experience with sermon-based, like you're really limited to whatever the, the pastor preaches, right? Like mm-hmm. that's going to be the limit. But you know, along the way, we kept providing them more tools so they could do more different things. And what did we notice is they just kept putting it into like their backpack, right? And that just kept getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And they weren't actually using any of those tools. They were just purely using the questions that we gave them because it was right in front of them. And so we had the thought, the, the challenge we had is, okay, what do we want them to accomplish over the course of a month? And we really were able to boil it down to four things. Um, and so we call them four different nights, connection nights, community nights, common growth nights, and personal growth nights. And so I'm sorry, we didn't figure out a fourth C for that. We just, at our church, we're not going to force it. (laughs) Cucumber. (laughs) Exactly. So uh, connection nights is where we're trying the the share aspect that you just heard from purpose five purposes. So it's a, a place where we can be inviting others and be inclusive. It's also a night where they could spend together. So they've created these things called us nights where you know, it's a night where they get to know each other better. Communion, the word communion just means that, yeah, the act of sharing. And mm-hmm. so these are nights where they're going to share, whether it's their testimony or there's a devotional they want to do together or share with each other, or it's a night that they're going to do extended prayer or they're going to worship together or actually take communion. Like our groups that are actually taking communion have had huge success with that as well, mm. um, which in a heavy Catholic population blows people's minds. It's well, awesome. Yeah. You don't to have to see, have the priest. Like, yeah, you don't have to have the priest to do this. And it's it's been interesting at once that seal has broken, like how meaningful that can be inside that. So common growth is where our discussion questions usually fit in. And then personal growth is where they are in their own spiritual journey. So the difference between common growth and personal growth Common growth, like, hey, we're in a relationship series. So here we're going to talk about conversations about where we are in relationships and we can encourage each other because we're taking steps in a common area. And then personal growth is no matter where you are on that path, like we want to help you take that next step. And so they try to balance out those four things. And most of those, those pillars that you just heard about maybe take 15, 30 minutes. So they still have time for discussion questions, but it helps them to make it more holistic inside groups. So it's not just discussion questions. And we, we still find like the groups that don't do the pillars and they stick to just doing discussion questions. They like burn out over a period of time because you need to be balanced in those different areas. And I think that's something that I don't know if it's just because of our model, but you know, if groups focus on any of those purposes, like let's say they become a pure Bible study and they're just going to study the Bible after about six to nine months, they, they burn out or a prayer group after six to nine months, like they burn out. I and mean, I think there's just something in us that like, oh, I want to work on these different areas. And 
and, and try to strengthen them and, and be encouraging. And what I like about that is, and, and I've discovered mm-hmm. this writing a fair amount of curriculum, whatever you want the group to do, you have to integrate it into the curriculum and not a matter of, oh, we had this training and I told them what to do. No, it's like from yes. week to week, you need to articulate, yeah. this is what we expect you to do this week. Or remember, this is the week we're going to focus yeah. on whatever. Because I've even found like, if you put something in the front of a study guide, they forget yeah. that from week to week or they didn't read it. I, I like that idea. Of, of integrating yeah. it all together. And just, it's not because people are dumb, they're not, but they're busy and they're yeah. distracted. You just make it as easy as you can just to lay it out. Yeah. I would say the other thing that I'm wrestling with currently, uh, we have leaders that are having a lot of success through the 10 weeks and the mm-hmm. 10 weeks is designed for them to like, when you get to the end of it, you should be able to put a plan together for yourself. I think that might not be the case. I think I may just need to keep a track that's just like, hey, if you want me to tell you the schedule, it's so that you can keep these things balanced. Like, I'll gladly do that for you. So either you can go and be a free agent and kind of do your own pillars that you want to do, or I'll set up the schedule and, and you can follow this track along with it. And I think that that might be something that, you know, add to this curriculum going forward and seeing how that goes to, to help out uh, group health. In yeah, those areas. no, that's, so. that's good. I think we're way off the questions, but I, that's really good. So let's talk yeah. about, so you guys, <laughs> you were, you were doing dinner groups in the 10 week small group and yep. about what percent of your congregation did you have in groups only doing those things? We usually are in between about 60 to 75% inside of our groups, man, that number gets so interesting when you start throwing in all those online numbers. So <laughs> it's really interesting. I've started to track that number versus in-person versus our, our total number that we have. Uh, for those that weren't are listening, I just used air quotes around total number. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it's hard. And then some people are trying to use a multiplier to their online groups of how many people yeah. are really watching. And it's like, well, I'll be fair to our church. I think we do a conservative number to that. We don't use a multiplier. My only thing is that like, I cannot figure out how to get any of the people online to take steps. And so that has been super challenging for us to, to figure out of how do I, how do I get these people who are online into groups? And that's kind of the new frontier. In fact, that was my blog post this week was about online groups. Cause I started my first online group in 1994 on CompuServe. Yes, I yeah. that old. So I may be, I may very well be the grandfather of online small groups, but uh, <laughs> anyway, but I think awesome. that's, that's the place. Cause you want to make it, you don't want to make it an online, a lesser experience than you're in yeah. person. Yeah. So we, you've, you had good success. Now, the one, one of the things you were wrestling with was you guys were a little reluctant or unsure about getting into the, the idea of the host model. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about that. My senior leadership has always been nervous around the you plus two friends kind of thing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think they put a high <laughs> value around the leader in that they need the leader to be fully kind of, you know, complete client and they back up our theological positions a hundred percent can totally understand where they're coming from. I think it was my, even my own hesitation. And so it was a very kind of controlled environment. We want to make sure which leaders we have and so forth. But then there's also that tension of like, you know, we want to reach people beyond our church. I think if, if you want to reach beyond your church, it's, it gets really interesting as to the, the kind of system or the model that you need in order to pull that off. Yeah, it is. It is a challenge because once people get into church, they're meeting more church people, the more church people they know, the fewer people that they know that are, you know, out there, but then they're also not going to be as thoroughly indoctrinated. So there is, there is a, a risk factor in there. And to be honest, I didn't embrace the idea of host until yeah. 
I was pretty much forced to do it out of frustration of working so hard and not getting any groups to multiply or develop apprentices or any of those mm-hmm. things that, that, you know, should have worked. So finally we just were at the point that it's like, okay, I'm, I'm desperate. I'll try anything. And then we got yeah. there. So eventually you guys did do that. Yes. And if, if I recall the first churchwide series you did or alignment series you did to recruit hosts, financial peace university, what, yes. what in the world were you thinking? So I would say this is like a church curriculum. I wouldn't say it's necessarily host model per se, right? Okay. So it was like a dip one foot into this pool, right? And I and then following year, I will get to it. We 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 finally did the cannonball. But uh, the first year we did Financial Peace University. The reason we did that is, you know, we knew that we were about to come up on having a capital campaign, but we really through prayer did not feel like we were in a position to ask people who are already in debt or already financially unstable to contribute to this thing and go further in debt. Right. And so we really first started with, with FPU as like, okay, let's give them a solid foundation for financial health. And in order to get that going, we knew we were going to need as many group leaders as possible. And so one of the things we started doing was we knew that we needed every FPU leader to have gone through FPU before they they did that. And so it meant that we had to really stack, I think it was six months before we got started getting as many group leaders through that as possible um, before we got going. So we were able to sustain a lot of groups after that, which was really great. And I think the other thing that was super important that really helped us out, you know, we have a motto here at Hoboken Grace that's don't do more, do better. It is rare that we have people serving in more than one ministry. So our group leaders are only group leaders, which sounds great until you're competing with kids ministry and everyone else and people can only do one thing. When we do our big push like this, we we lift the barriers for those eight, to, I think something short like that. Mm-hmm. So we lifted those barriers and it meant that we could have anyone lead a group for those nine weeks. And what was great about that is they're so great at identifying leaders. A lot of these groups were able to stay together after they were done because they would go back to kids, but you know now Gary's taking over this group and and being able to to continue it on. So I loved that aspect of it. Of uh, another way to like quickly identify leaders. It's really something I really wish I could have done this fall because of how much uh, COVID has affected people moving here. Um, we have so many first time guests right now, and I know that there are leaders among those first time guests but I need more eyeballs to be able to see who those people are so that when we get to January, we can ask them to, to start leading. Yeah. So that was, that was year one was doing, was doing FPU and doing kind of like not completely host model, but using some of those elements of like, okay, how can I get as many groups going as possible? And then what are the things that I can do to keep and sustain those groups once, once that season ends? And you guys found success. You had a high percentage of people that connected yes. uh, into groups through FPU. And mm-hmm. I don't recall the exact number. Uh, I want to say that was the highest we ever got to. I think it was like 90, 95% of our, our Sunday attendance was going through FPU at the time. Okay. So, and then yeah. what, what did groups look like after FPU? After FPU, it, you know, it came back down to the high 70s in there. So naturally, you're going to lose people who are on the fringe or people who aren't necessarily going to church, but they came because their friend wanted them to come through this. But we also grew significantly. So it's tough with that because, right? So then they join your church. They start attending on Sunday, which then increases that. Sorry, I'm a math guy, but that increases the number there and, and brings your percentage back down. So um, it, it is interesting how that works, but it it's also 
like something I will gladly deal with, right? I'll gladly deal with more people attending on Sunday. That means I need to get connected into group. Plus they're already connected into group. So it's kind of one, one out of one. So there you go. There you go. So, um, and then the pandemic hit, um, yeah, actually before that. So that was 2018. Okay. In 2019, we did literally the easiest campaign to do, which is purpose-driven life. Saddleback hooks you up with a lot of great things. Yeah. And then that was pretty plug and play, which was awesome. And that was the first time we had ever done host, which meant like U plus two was the thing we pushed. It's the most number of groups we've ever had. That went great. It's really hard to tell its full success because that was the fall of 2019, right? And then obviously March of 2020 is, is when when things went haywire for the most part, it's, it's interesting. Like I have a little bit of love, hate relationship. If I'm being honest with the host models, I don't know if we will end up needing to cut this. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. You can uh, be honest. I'll be honest that like, it's tough with the host model sometimes is that that rushing that leadership process can be kind of challenging sometimes. It's great that they're getting going and there's some different things that you can help to get them up to speed. But then once they're hosting and and they're transitioning into a full-time group, just making sure that they're coming to those leadership trainings right away are super important. And then it it really ate at my farm system, if that's a, a thing. So you have those apprentices that are coming up and then they're immediately like kind of thrusted into it. And so I think that's where like, I think that's probably where I may need like coaching in the future is like, oh, it feels like your farm system's going away, but not really like these people are getting in here. So it's like, how can I partner and support with these people better so that I feel like they are stronger leaders once they finally accept the title of, of leader as opposed to just a host. Yeah. And I'm, I'm reluctant to give anybody a title leader until they've, you know, met, met the qualifications until they've, yes. they've proven themselves. And I mean, Paul said to Timothy, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. But I think in, in your model, I think that your, your farm system is great. And so I wouldn't place it as uh, Bill Willett said in last month's podcast, you know, there's no silver bullet. And I think he said it no. about 12 times and they use it. They recruit leaders about nine different ways at North Point. So you have your farm system that mm-hmm. go ahead and develop them that way, knowing that they're going to have a better grasp of what it is to be a group leader, yeah. you know, when they've kind of graduated. But on the other side, if you had enough people coming through your farm system, then you'd have everybody in groups. You'd yeah. have a leader for everybody. But yep. in most churches, one one model, yeah. one approach doesn't satisfy that. In addition to that, you offer the host thing. The leader recruiting somebody in their group to develop an apprentice Yep. Or you have someone essentially recruiting themselves by being a host. You know, it's it's a very different approach, yeah. but I don't I, know that it's necessarily incompatible. It's just that they're starting in a different place. And then eventually, you know, you're developing the same thing. I think you're 100% correct. I, I would say that it it it's going to take multiple, like, like Bill said, it's going to take multiple approaches. And you're definitely right about the farm system, right? Like, that was a lesson I had to learn probably like year five or six. And I've been doing this for 13 or 12 years now, like five or six is realizing, okay, this apprenticeship thing's not going to be everything. Right. I remember meeting Dave Ferguson and asking him like, how do you guys do this? And he's like, well, I can't write a book if, <laughs> if, if I'm not like, you know, telling you like, this is, this is going to work for all. Of course, like we use different methods and stuff like that. So i um, sorry, Dave. Yeah, no, it, it definitely takes more than just one way to, to do that. And I, I think the thing I've learned too, is like the, you don't throw away the farm system though, because I find the people who go through the farm system are the people who are more likely, like they'll lead for, I find like two to four years. Whereas like, if I'm doing someone who's a host kind of, and they're a leader, like I usually have them for 
maybe one to two. And so like, and the other thing that I know is that there's something about them getting poured into by someone else that then causes them to pay that forward for someone else. So mm-hmm. um, you definitely need, I think, both models in there uh, to, to really help out the system as a whole. Yeah. And I, I have, I have no argument there at all. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, cause <laughs> then you have things coming in, you know, when you, either it's one to two or three to four years that they're leading, you have the element of small group life cycle is in there. Most groups are, you know, yeah. 18 to 24 months. And then, then you have, you know, then they up and, you know, relocate because they have a family and they can't afford to have a house in Hoboken. So where are they going to exactly. go? Exactly. Yeah. I, it just makes me think too, like when someone is absolute about what they think is the best way something works, I think that's the time you need to run. So <laughs> that's the thing I think I've learned in ministry over these years is when someone's like, no, like this is the only way to do it. And you have to have missional communities. Like if we're not going to have this, like it's not going to work at all. Like we've got it. Like, okay, like what is your context and how does that fit in there? Why is that the best method? And then like, you know what I mean? So I think all of us are going to have to, you know, take a buffet buffet approach and really think these things through as to what's going to be the best way to get people into community. What's the best way that they learn and, you know, try to adapt our models to, to fit their needs as opposed to what we think will be best or what worked in Southern California or Nashville or Atlanta, wherever. Yeah, exactly. Because different regions of the country, (laughs) different personalities of churches. I mean, it all has a factor. And I think the last thing that we we should do is impose somebody else's strategy wholesale on our congregation when they're a different type of church, a different size of church, a different part of the country, that we have to customize that to a specific culture of a church, because otherwise it's just, it's very forced. It doesn't help you reach the goal. Cause when we go back to it, it's like our mission is to go and make disciples. You know, I don't say this a lot, but I mean, the reality is as long as small groups are making disciples, I'm all in favor of small groups. Yeah. But as soon as something better comes up or if small groups are no longer fulfilling that purpose because the culture shifted or whatever, then I'm on to whatever else is going to make disciples. I'm not, you know, and I'm supposed to be like the small group guy. So anyway, I said that. That's why I found your coaching so valuable, right? Oh, thanks. Because you're going to come in and you're going to be able to see the game film with me and you're going to be able to say like, well, your goals are here, but you're taking this approach. Like, have you considered... Like, what if we change the game plan to this? And like, I think that was just what's, what's so helpful about that too, as opposed to like, it wasn't like a consultant coming in and being like, you must do it this way. Like, you know, it has to be X, Y, and Z. No, what's the mission. Okay. We want to, we want to create disciples who create disciples and like being able to think about, okay, so what does that look like in Hoboken and, and what might be the best system to approach that? Yeah, really no, appreciate that's, that. that's good. That's, that's, that's great. And you guys were certainly a success <laughs> story on that. The last 20 months have just discombobulated everything. A lot mm-hmm. of the stuff that pastors and churches have worked very hard at seem to have just flown out the window. Being at Hoboken Grace, you're accustomed to a certain amount of turbulence and churn and people going and yeah. all of that stuff. So for everybody else out there that was fat and happy, uh, at the beginning of 2020. And now they're looking at it going, what in the world just happened to me? How can yeah. you encourage that pastor? Well, now I'm just fat, not fat and happy. But <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> How would I encourage them? I think we're going to talk about my own story here. I just, there's so much change that's been happening, right? I think a lot of us are making really bold choices through this season. And so that has caused me to like slow down. I have had such an urge to like leave and go do something new. And I think a lot of us have, and I don't want to knock anyone who has left or moved, but 
but I, I think it's caused us all to evaluate like what our needs actually are, which I think is a good thing. But it also like, I don't want to make a drastic decision when everyone's making drastic decisions. So I think it's part of this is like, like, do you know what your core is and what you want to do? Like, do you know what your win is uh, inside this? And then the other thing I would say is like, is to just keep learning too. I think if you spend a lot of time with me, I look at a lot of metrics. It's really interesting. I was really annoyed to have to do this project this last week as to how many people just left our groups to go in there and find 10 people who were still going to group. It just found out that the group leader had no idea how to add them as members to their roster was one thing <laughs> like, that's like, oh, I probably need to do a better training for our new leaders as to how to add people to their roster. What were some of the other things I learned? Oh, I have a, a too high of a percentage of people who are no longer in a group because the group that they were in stopped meeting, right? So I need to do some better handholding to make sure, or not me, but our team needs to do better handholding to make sure that they get reconnected into a new group once there's that transition that happens. And that happens a lot here at Hoboken Grace because, you know, a leader gets a new assignment and they're now in Charlotte, right? Like I shared with you earlier, sometimes we're just not big fans of if they don't have an apprentice in the group before they left, like it's rare that I'm going to let someone else just take over the group. So keep evaluating, keep learning. I think it is, is the thing that we've got to learn through this, this COVID thing, because I think what's that phrase, what got us here isn't going to get us there. Right. So if, if that hasn't been true these past 20 months, I don't, I don't know when it ever will be true. So. Well, and, it, and it's almost like back in the nineties when everybody was trying to have a contemporary service, because oh, moving yes. away from traditional services, yes. you know, we felt that tension. Now things have sped up quite a bit in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so now trying to say, oh, well, let's go back and have a church like we had in 2019. Well, we need to go back and apologize to yeah. all those traditional guys that we were ridiculing once upon a time. Maybe ridicule is too strong of a word <laughs> because we're trying to do the same thing, trying yeah. to let's let's lead them backwards. We can't lead backwards. We can only lead forward. And I think even now, you know, where where are people finding community? And so mm-hmm. when the restaurants are closed, how do you have a dinner club? You know, yeah. and and some of those, I guess they have to you have to be in the little shack they built out on the sidewalk is what yeah. they're doing. Is that how it goes? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. They actually, they're called parklets. So um, <laughs> that's, that's where those happen. Yeah. The, the thing I was going to say too, is that the, one of the biggest things I learned through COVID as well is that like hybrid groups don't work is at least in our context, they don't work. It's too hard to do in person and online and make each party feel like they're a part of it. I think online can be successful and has been successful. Mm-hmm. And I think in person is successful, but when you try to merge those two things, you create a bad experience for both sides. So I, that's the only thing I've been like adamant through with, with this season is like, you can be in person. If your group is willing to take those steps, great. And if you're online, great, but please don't, don't try to do this like hybrid approach. And yeah, a couple other COVID learnings I've learned is um, I think one of the things that really helped us was like everyone else, we had that turbulence of like, people really want to be in person. Are they really adamant about being online? And what was happening was everyone was upset, but nobody was actually doing anything about it, right? They Mm. just wanted to vocalize their problems. So we took a long reset at the end of August, which we typically don't do. So we actually took seven weeks off, which is about four weeks longer than we usually do. Uh, What was really great about that is it caused all of our members to have to pick what method they wanted. Um, 
And that has really brought some peace into our system because now people are where they want to be um, to the point that I almost want to do, a, a, you know, if I see this becoming a problem, like you think again, when we get closer to the winter, when we start moving inside, um, I may do a reset again, just to constantly keep having those members have to pick the method that works best for them in the season, which is really untypical for us because we usually go, we usually have our groups meet for 10 weeks and then they choose to continue for the rest of the year. So will be interesting to see how this goes instead of constantly finding out your method was wrong. <laughs> well, and that's the thing is that things, things have changed so quickly and are continuing yes. to change. You know, we just can't be guilty of trying to reinforce old methods because then we might as well, well, let's just go back and have church and life the way it was in the 1950s, right? It's like, we can't go back there. But, but the crazy thing is that we're not talking about 70 years ago. We're talking about two years ago. Yes. And how much things have changed and how things are different this year than they were last year and how people work and what's important to them and what they're investing themselves in. And then how can the church come alongside and fulfill our mission in the context of a very much a changing culture? So, well, yeah. thank you, Nick. Yeah, um, no, I love being on this. I, I love talking groups. So whenever you need me back to talk about whatever topic, as long as it's uh, nothing too theological, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we go, I want to let you know that the 2022 Small Group Ministry Coaching Group is enrolling now. This is a 12-month experience to help you recruit more leaders, form better groups, and make more disciples. You'll receive proven content through books, online courses, timelines, templates, and examples, then discuss and apply these best practices in a cohort of eight churches and in monthly one-on-one -on -one coaching calls with me. Every church is unique, so our goal is to find the sweet spot where the best practices and your church's culture intersect. The group starts in January 2022. Registration is open until January 1st or until the group fills up, and I'll let you in on a secret. The group usually fills up first. See the registration info in the show notes at alanwhite.org forward slash episode 10. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Please help others find this podcast by sharing the link with your friends and rating the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for listening.